Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. John Eels, George Gregan, Johnny Wilkinson. If you're a millennial who grew up in a rugby household, I imagine those names are filling you with a lot of nostalgia right now. In 2003, Australia hosted the World Cup and the Wallabies were a household name. But fast forward to today and it's a bit of a different story. The World Cup started in France on the 8th of September, but there's barely a mention anywhere I look. And this isn't just a result of a nasty Northern Hemisphere time zone difference that we're not covering it. The sport is in serious trouble. It's Friday, the 15th of September, and today I want to know what on earth has happened to Australian Rugby Union. To talk about this today, and I hear it's a subject close to his heart, I'm joined by my colleague and the co-founder of Equity Mates, it's Alec Renahan. Alec, welcome to The Dive. Sasha, good to be here. Close to my heart, yeah, I guess... Uh, Like I, like so many Sydney siders grew up playing rugby union and it's just, it's kind of evaporated over the last, (laughs) I don't know, 10, 20 years from the public consciousness. I mean, the Wallabies are still a big deal, but if anyone listening is challenging me on that it's evaporated, when's the last time you saw a shoot shield score (laughs) or went to the Waratahs? (laughs) Fair points. I've got to say, I also grew up on not playing rugby, but on the sidelines of many a cold, well, Brisbane cold winter morning watching schoolboy rugby. So it's definitely a support that brings up a lot of nostalgia for me as well. So take us back 20 years, two decades. I want to understand where we were in order to know where we are. So, Sasha, 2003 was a good year for Australian Rugby Union. We were hosting the World Cup on our shores and we got oh so close to winning it, uh, losing it all to England in the grand final off the boot of Johnny Wilkinson. From a business perspective, it was also a good year. In 2003, the Australian Rugby Union posted a $32.9 million profit compared to about half a million dollar profit the year before. So it was a good year to host the World Cup and there was a lot of revenue associated with that. So the $32.9 million profit, the money that the game had been banking over the previous you know, few decades, it meant that we had a bit of a war chest. Australian Rugby Union had close to $110 million in assets and $80 million of that was in cash. It's some sizable sums when Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal glided between the posts to snatch the 2003 World Cup final in Sydney against the Wallabies. It was the first rider of a seemingly apocalyptic series of disasters that were going to smash into the game in Australia. I remember it was like the groan heard around the nation when that happened. Johnny Wilkinson, he's got it! And from there, things got worse. 
a seemingly apocalyptic series of disasters is a uh, quite an emotive uh, turn of phrase, Sasha. But hey, we've got to make business news fun, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but look, yeah, you're right. It, things turned and they soured pretty quickly. Financial losses in 2004, 2005, 2006 and 2007 really started to eat away at this cash buffer, the war chest that Australian rugby had built. In 2007, feeling the need to do something after four years of losses, Australian rugby tried to reinvigorate its competition with the Australian Rugby Championship. It was a competition that sat below the Super 14, as it was at that time, the international competition that includes Australian, South African and New Zealand teams, those three countries at that time. The Australian Rugby Championship lasted one season. Okay. And it lost $4.7 million in that season. The losses continued and not to be deterred by the failure of the Australian Rugby Championship, the governing body decided to revive that format with the National Rugby Championship in 2014. It lasted a little bit longer. It lasted six seasons before being scrapped in 2019. The losses continued piling up in the 2000s into the 2010s, but most unforgivable at all, at least in hindsight, most unforgivable, was there was a real underinvestment in junior and grassroots footy And rugby unions started to really cede ground to rugby league, but also to AFL and soccer. And Sasha, you know what happens when kids stop playing sports? They stop attending sports as well. Mm -hmm. And here's a pretty devastating set of figures. From 2013 to today, the average super rugby attendance in Australia has dropped 43%. So it's almost halved. I just had a look at the average New South Wales Waratahs attendance. It's now less than 10,000. To put that in perspective, the recently crowned Wooden Spooners, the losers of the uh, rugby league competition, the West Tigers, average more. So yeah, okay. not a great not a great start. So that, that 43% drop was the overall crowd attendance since 2013. But here's the one that really hurts. The key demographic... 16 to 39-year-olds, they recorded a 73% decline in attendance since 2013. So that key demographic walked away from attending the game. Isn't the phrase demographics are destiny? I mean, 73%, you're not looking yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. That might be used slightly out of context, <laughs> but let's, let's go with it. Okay. And like the 2010s had a lot of off-field challenges as well. There was the exit of CEO Raylene Castle. The CEO Raylene Castle has resigned after the board made it clear she no longer had its confidence. There was the Israel Folau settlement and scandal. It was all over this Instagram post where Folau said homosexuals, amongst others, would go to hell. We started this journey on behalf of all people of faith to protect their rights of freedom of speech and religion. The declining audience, the allegations of underinvestment and mismanagement, and it all culminated really with COVID. COVID was a really difficult time for Rugby Australia and I think it exposed a lot of the brewing problems that had been bubbling up in the 2000s and the 2010s. The game was almost on the brink of bankruptcy. In 2020, Australian Rugby Union reported a $27.1 million 
operating loss. In hindsight, the Rugby Australia Chief Executive Andy Marinos has said, quote, there can be no doubt about how deep a hole rugby was in as a result of the pandemic. We were genuinely on the cusp of catastrophe. Wow, that's really strong. Yeah. And because they were on the cusp of catastrophe, they needed to get outside help. Uh, The Australian newspaper reported that Aries Management, a global alternative asset manager, basically came in and backstopped Rugby Australia and gave them reportedly $40 million in debt, like as a loan, and again reportedly charged an interest rate of more than 10% on that loan to keep the governing body solvent and to allow them to service other loans that they already had. But Alec... Crucially, what you just said before is that COVID kind of exacerbated a whole lot of problems that were brewing. It wasn't like rugby union executives woke up one morning and were suddenly surprised by the state that they were in. All through the 2000s and the 2010s, there were warnings. Yeah, that's it. So many warnings about the state of the game in terms of attendance, in terms of participation in uh, junior and grassroots footy, warnings around TV ratings, even warnings about the the size of international crowds when the Wallabies were playing. There was successive leadership teams at Rugby Australia that refused to acknowledge or just couldn't or did acknowledge but couldn't make a difference and, and really turn the ship around. And where it ended up was the really common critique of rugby union as we sit here in 2023, which is that it's a private school's game. Mm. And some of the numbers really exemplify that. So among last year's Wallabies squad, almost three quarters of the players who were educated in Australia finished their schooling at private or independent institutions. Looking at the junior level, of the 25 players named in the Australian schoolboys and the under-18 squad last year, only three of 25 completed year 12 at public schools. And then looking at the executive level, three of the five most recent Rugby Australia chief executives, including the recently appointed Phil War, all actually attended the same Sydney private school, Shaw. Interesting. And, you know, if you're listening from overseas, Australia does have a higher private school attendance than a lot of other countries. But still, to put that in perspective with the rest of the population, 65% of Australians are educated in government schools. So, yeah, it's kind of different to the rest of the population. Alec, we've covered the business of sport a lot here on The Dive. And if there's one thing we've learned over and over again, it's that growing TV rights deals are a boon for pretty much every sport that we've talked about to date. How's rugby union going in comparison? Yes, Sasha, the broadcast rights deals have just been the lifeblood of sports recently. Just their their growth has been eye-watering and they've been a big driver of you know, the growth of sports, the growth of the value of professional teams and also the growth of player payments. Like these broadcast deals are driving these sports. So Rugby Australia's previous deal before their 2021 most recent deal, they were getting paid $57 million a year from Fox Sports for broadcast rights. So $57 million a year, they sit down to renegotiate in 2021 and the deal is less. They reportedly got $90 million over three years, but then further reporting suggests that some of that $90 mil over three years is in contra. Mm. You know, it's not cash, it's like free advertising and stuff like that. Reports are Rugby Australia is getting $18 million a year in cash. 
So from 57 mil to 18 mil, that's what the reports are. That's a sport that's going backwards, which is not the trend in TV rights deals. No. The quantum of the deal is also worth noting. So $18 million a year in cash. Compare that to AFL's newly signed TV rights deal, $4.5 billion over seven years Ooh. or $650 mil a year. The NRL is about $400 million a year. Rugby Australia has fallen behind massively. Yeah. It's like they're going to be bringing knives to a gunfight when it comes to trying to compete for, you know, grassroots competition. So Mm. that's what's happened. Let's take a break and then in a moment talk about what can be done. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to The Dive. Today, we're celebrating, we're celebrating in, in strong italics here, the Rugby World Cup in France by looking at what's happened to Australian rugby union over the past two decades. Because while a generation of players have given it all on the field, executives off the field in the boardroom have, well, let's say been squandering uh, some of their reserves slightly. There is hope though, Alec. New leadership at Rugby Australia is changing things and there is talk of a golden decade that is to come. A golden decade, (laughs) Sasha. It is coming. Well, reportedly is coming. So before the break, we were speaking about the TV rights deal and a big reason that the TV rights deal got smaller is that Rugby Australia is moving out from behind the paywall. They are one of the only sports that most of the professional league games weren't on free-to-wear and that was because you know pay tv providers were willing to pay more but now as part of their new tv rights deal they're bringing their matches back to free-to-wear okay and the reason is simple let's engage fans again let's make this sport more accessible and then let's hope that showing professionals on free-to-wear tv drives kids to start playing it drives uh, fans to start attending games and let's start growing our supporter base again. And we are starting to see the green shoots of that come through. Attendance at Super Rugby and international games is starting to tick up again. So that's a good sign and, and that's given Rugby Australia some hope. You know what's given them a little bit more hope though, Sasha? What? That they're Back in the black. Ah, yes. That does make a difference. (laughs) 2022 was the first time in four years that Rugby Australia turned a profit. They announced an $8.2 million profit. That came on the back of a 31% increase in revenue. But the most exciting part of the story that is getting Rugby Australia executives excited is match day revenue grew by 85% year on year. And that was thanks to the highest match attendance, the cumulative match attendance at Wallabies tests since the 2013 British and Irish Lions tour. So the fans are there or they're returning at least for the Wallabies. That's the green shoots that have executives excited. 
But the golden decade that they keep talking about is because of everything that's coming down the pike. The big news is that Australia has been awarded the rights to host the 2027 Men's Rugby World Cup and the 2029 Women's Rugby World Cup. Mm -hmm. So they're hoping for a similar payday to what they saw in 2003. Australia is hosting the British and Irish Lions in 2025. And then to top it all off, Sasha, in 2032, the Olympic Games comes to Australia. Brisbane is hosting. Signed, sealed, now time to deliver. This will consolidate this great city as a global city, as a global powerhouse. Every Olympics, their host country has the option to add sports. You know, recently we've seen three-on-three basketball. Uh, We saw skateboarding added. There are currently a number of different sporting bodies, I guess, bidding to be added to the 2032 Summer Olympics. Reportedly, Rugby League is pushing pretty hard, but also uh, reports are that Rugby Union is looking at it. So we shall see, but that would really top off a golden decade. And I guess we should say that the Rugby Sevens is already at the Olympics. So even if they don't get a 15-a-side game there, um, you know, rugby will be represented. Half of them will be on the field. But, Alec, there's still debt to be repaid and there's still huge challenges ahead. You know, it isn't just we're back in the black, let's go. What options do they have? New Zealand's All Blacks rugby team is one of the sport's most famous and successful names. So it may be little surprise that one US private equity firm has seen financial opportunities in the brand. Yeah, private equity. That is the name of the game when it comes to rugby, it seems. A lot of governing bodies and different leagues have sold slices of themselves to private equity. Mm -hmm. So quite famously, New Zealand rugby sold a minority stake to private equity giant Silver Lake last year. Basically, they set up a new entity that controls the commercial rights for New Zealand's rugby team, the All Blacks. Silver Lake invested 200 million New Zealand dollars for a stake of about 8% in the game. And then New Zealand rugby are taking that money. I don't think they had a lot of debt, but they could pay it off, but they plan to invest in the game Mm. with that money. So give us an upfront payment and let us get our house in order and invest in the game and pay it back over time. It's not the first time Silver Lake has done this with a sport. Australia's A-League has sold a minority stake to the US private equity giant as well. Over in Europe, the Six Nations rugby tournament has sold a minority stake to CVC, another private equity giant. CVC paid £300 million for 14% of that tournament. And CVC also paid £200 million for 27% of England's domestic professional rugby tournament, Premiership Rugby. CVC seem to like rugby because reports are they're also having similar conversations with South African rugby. So Rugby Australia is looking at that as a way to potentially clear some of its debt and invest in the game. Reports are that they've been looking at raising about 200 to 250 million Aussie dollars from selling off a slice of themselves. But Alec... All the money in the world isn't going to get more kids playing and watching. You really have to be, you know, speaking to kids at that grassroots level, right? Yeah, and speaking to kids that aren't at private schools as well. And I think to close this out, Sasha, I think it's worth reflecting on the last time that Australian rugby was really on its knees and struggling in the late 1970s. 
And if we think Australian rugby is having a bad moment now, it was having a much worse moment then. The Australian Rugby Union was unable to stage any test matches in 1977 because it was on the brink of insolvency. It just it just didn't have the money. It couldn't afford an inbound tour, like it couldn't afford a foreign country to come and play here and it couldn't allow the Wallabies to travel anywhere. It was wow. struggling. In walks the three Ella brothers from Matraville High School, a public high school in New South Wales, the three Ella brothers, Mark, Glenn and Gary, alongside two other players from Matraville, were selected to the Australian schoolboys team. And this team, full of public school players, reinvigorated the game in Australia. Their schoolboys tour in 77 and 78 uh, had 16 matches across Japan and Europe and they won them all. They were the front page of every paper as they came home and they were really seen as kick-starting the revival of Australian rugby in the late 1970s. So Australian rugby's been through it before. They're really struggling at the moment against AFL, rugby league and soccer. But it is going to be what sport kids choose to play, that grassroots and, and junior levels that really drives the next generation and... If history is to go on, it'll be that generation that revives it. Well, Alec, I've really enjoyed walking down memory lane. A bit of nostalgia going back to those early 2000s players and hearing some familiar memories. But we might leave it there for today. A small favour from us. If you could just jump in your podcast player, it takes 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It makes a massive difference in terms of getting us in front of fresh ears. Or just send it to a friend, especially one who has passionate thoughts about Rugby Union. Alec, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Sasha. Until next time. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.